What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Okay, we're releasing this on a Friday, and we recorded this on a Tuesday, a couple days ago, because what is happening with Charlie Kirk needs to be more of a current event. So I brought on Matthew Bodie, Riley, and Dan, two people who work with us on the back end for research, to talk about why do we focus so much on Charlie Kirk and why you must absolutely be informed regarding what Kirk is doing um, in evangelical spaces and now recruiting pastors. So this is kind of a special episode. It's a deep one, but it's important to be informed and to understand why we're always raising the alarm around Charlie Kirk, Turning Point USA, Turning Point Faith, etc. So thanks for being here. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm going to hop right to it. You know our sponsors, Mad Priest Coffee. We love them. Go to our uh, show notes, type in TNE20 in the checkout to get 20% off your order. Their coffee is delicious. They're a local roastery. They poke fun at evangelical culture. We love them. They are they are massive uh, friends of mine. I, I just love their work. I love their coffee. So make sure you go to the link in our show notes, get some coffee, type in TNE20 in the checkout, get 20% off your order, and you will be hooked like I am. And of course, we are going to Trip Fuller's Theology Nerd, Homebrewed Theology, whatever it is, Beer Camp, Godpot Edition. Um, that's going to be October 13th through 15th. You can join me and a bunch of other amazing theologians and podcast hosts to hang out, drink beer, and just talk about the deep stuff in life. Like, why is Charlie Kirk trying to take over the world? We can talk about that in person. Go to our show notes again. Type in TNE in the link that we provide to get 50 bucks off your ticket. Cannot wait to see you there. All right, friends. Here's the episode for this Friday. Have a good one. Enjoy your weekend. Talk to you later. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. Truly great to be with you. Um, I'm the host of the show, Tim, and on this episode, I don't know, I feel like I brought in all the big guns because we have a very big conversation to talk about. We're talking about Charlie Kirk today and Turning Point USA and everything that Turning Point is. There's so much to unpack here, and I have um, some guests, co-co-co-hosts with me uh, to kind of unpack some of this and talk about why do we even talk about Charlie Kirk as much as we do. Because if you follow us on Instagram or on TikTok or even on podcasts, we talk about Charlie pretty often. But there is a reason. There's a method behind the madness. And this episode, I hope, is going to kind of unpack why the new evangelicals and and the folks who work with us really see Charlie Kirk as as really threatening to just, I would argue, the Christian tradition um, and also to our political discourse. So that being said, I have um, on the show with me, I have Dan Catchpole, I have Riley Martinez, okay, Whew. and then I have Matthew Bodie. did I say it correctly, Matt? All right, perfect. So it's great to have all of you um, with me on the show. I want to start by kind of doing a brief introduction of everyone. So Dan, let's start with you. Why don't you introduce yourself, give us a, a short background of, of what you do professionally. Uh, so, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Uh, so I'm a journalist. I've just really started diving into the Charlie Kirk milieu, uh, Christian nationalism kind of stuff, working, doing some research with you. Uh, my background, though, I've been a newspaper journalist, magazine journalist, uh, covered lots of different stuff. Uh, aerospace was overseas for a little bit, um, the electric power industry. So, uh, yeah, always learn new stuff, which is what I love about the job. Definitely. Great. And Riley? 
Yeah, I am about, um, I'm London based right now. I'm about a week away from finishing my master's degree, which is focusing on um, the January 6th insurrection within the kind of historical and racial context of the Southern Confederacy. So my research deals a lot with like the historical legacy between how America remembers the Civil War and how that affects our political environment today. Mm, Great. Matt? I am a professor of English at the University of North Georgia, based in Gainesville, Georgia, uh, which means basically I teach freshman writing and other English classes. Uh, I took an interest in Charlie Kirk back in 2016, 17, when he put me on. I was one of the original members of the Turning Point USA professor watch list for my advocacy against uh, guns on campus. Uh, Since then, I've written a lot about Charlie Kirk. Um, I wrote um, the history of Turning Point USA for political research associates came out in January. I just did a chapter in a rhetoric book about the gun rhetoric of Turning Point USA, uh, appeared on several podcasts. And to Dan, I am a former crime reporter uh, in a small town in South Carolina. Uh, So I have big dreams of writing for the New York Times. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I want to start here. I'm not sure how much of the audience really understands, A, who Charlie Kirk is and also what Turning Point is and how they're related. So, Matt, I'm going to start with you. Can you kind of give us just a general overview of of Charlie Kirk, who he is, and then what what and and kind of the empire that really has become Turning Point? Yes, Charlie Kirk, uh, Charlie Kirk, excuse me, is the founder and CEO of Turning Point USA, and I would describe it as a media empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Turning Point USA itself is the original organization. It was designed, created to get uh, mainly college students involved in conservative politics. Started in 2012, um, it has branched out into several other areas. Um, Turning Point Action is its 50C4 partner, which means it can be more political. Uh, Turning Point Faith is the new um, institution uh, that, of course, specifically uh, starts Turning Point clubs or organizations in churches by partnering with pastors. Uh, there is also Turning Point Academy, which mm-hmm. is its K-12 arm. Uh, it currently has one school that it's partnered with, which is Dream City School in Arizona. And, of course, Turning Point USA itself is uh, headquartered in Phoenix. Now, why should we care about all of that? The key answer is Turning Point USA itself is a $55 million organization. It has donors up and down the list of small donors to big donors of all conservative circles. It is in part backed by Coke money, and it is also backed by several um elected leaders and, and supportive. Uh, they do uh, some of the most uh, prolific training, if you will, of student activists around the nation. Uh, they have a student active student action summit every year in Florida. The, this past year is in Tampa. They have a winter meeting down in uh, Miami and Palm Beach. Uh, they also do regional conferences where they train people. And the key, of course, is it's 2,000 plus chapters at high schools and colleges around the nation. I don't know how many people are involved in those, but I think it's up to 2,000 now. Uh, so they have exploded really since uh, Charlie Cook, uh, Kirk attached himself to Donald Trump in 2016. Of course, as everyone knows, Kirk was not an original supporter of Trump. He has jumped on the Trump train. But most importantly, with the $55 million at its disposal, it has money to burn. And it has been burning it in the Christian nationalism 
arena, if you will, uh, for the last two years, really since the pandemic started. Um, and we can talk about how that started. Uh, and that's really what I put into the history uh, of the turning point for the 10 years for the last two years is that. So it is a major player in conservative politics. It is now a major player in conservative religious politics, if you want to describe it as that. Yeah. Um, and it is a media empire because it has so many platforms, not just the clubs, not just the organizations I just responsible, but it has its own channel, if you will, on YouTube, has many shows that create media content for those shows, many hosts, and Charlie runs it all with his new bride um, in Arizona. And they also use a lot of college students to to really uh, get the social media game going. Oh so yeah, a lot, a lot totally of like about young college. Yes. Usually, in my experience, they're they're usually girls. Sometimes they're guys, and um, that that's just my experience of what I've seen. And they're usually pretty large followers, and they're just they're pretty much just taking Charlie Point's rhetoric and then just saying it with a new face and then sharing it out. So, I mean, in, in a way, how for 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 the size they are and how well funded they are and also how how much they they've expanded it's actually very impressive in a lot of ways i mean they're they're really no. done a lot of work there he knows what he's doing and i don't mean to suggest that uh that that is a, a good thing but he knows what he's doing uh, right. he knows how to start uh as as a young person he used twitter and social media to reach out to people that were up the ladder from him and now he uses social media to expand his message uh he understands what goes viral, what works on social media. The first campaign that Turning Point did, Big Government Sucks, was designed to go viral on social media. Um, so he understands that thing, and that's what made him different or makes him different than any other, if you will, youth organizations or college organizations that the Republicans have, because uh, he is a good face of the organization. He speaks in short sentences that uh, go on for a while, sadly, uh, but also, uh, as I said, he knows what he's doing with social media. So let's let's just kind of t uh, get to to where Charlie was. Like you kind of just explained the whole empire to kind of where he is now. Because you're right, Matt, when you mentioned that like Charlie has gotten way more in the Christian nationalist space more recently. Like I, I've known about Char about Turning Point for quite a long time, even before I've been doing this work. And he always, I was always thinking Charlie Kirk was more libertarian in a lot of ways. I mean, definitely conservative, but more of a libertarian stream mm -hmm. in the conservative politic. Yes. But that has totally shifted. I mean, radically, like you said, in the past two or three years, can you kind of speak to that as well? Like what happened there? Yeah, I think it started for me. I first noticed it, I think, when other people noticed it, when he gave the speech, I think it was at um, CPAC in 2020. And then he gave uh, Trump's, I uh, <clears throat> gave a speech at Trump's uh, convention speech where he mentioned or used Christian nationalist language, especially the seven mountains, uh -huh. uh, which are the seven areas of culture that Christian in this, in this organization or uh, this movement Christians try to take over. Um, it's kind of unclear exactly when this movement started, but it seemed to have started uh, early in the pandemic or maybe right before that, when all the churches were, were, uh, were deciding whether or not they wanted to be open. And I think there was a, a relationship built between he and uh, Rob McCoy, who is the megachurch pastor in California in a Calvary Chapel uh, setting, uh, who is, if you will, a face of the Christian nationalist pastor movement. Uh, he is part of an organization that gets pastors to run for office. Now, where they met and how many times they talked is unclear. I think they met at Liberty uh, in several events there. But it's clear that right after that, uh, right 
right after they met, Charlie Kirk started parroting, mimicking, saying the same things as uh, Rob McCoy and going to the same events. Hmm. Um, and you can see they're very tied together. He used to call Rob McCoy his personal pastor, I think, until really he moved to Arizona and got married and, and I guess got his own because uh, obviously McCoy is in California. Um, but I think uh, for Charlie Kirk, it seemed that it was both a business decision, that is, the he couldn't go to campuses in the spring of 2020 nor really the fall of 2020 and the places the only places he could go to were churches now he makes the argument a lot of churches were closed but he went to a lot of churches in 2020 and 2021 and he does or has done the same spiel there talking about his relationship with rob mccoy how they met how rob mccoy convinced him to do exactly what you say which is do a 180 on primarily connecting his religion to politics uh, Kirk gave several interviews, did his own podcast on how he did not ever link his religion and politics. Mm -hmm. He always described himself as a Christian, was part of an evangelical megachurch in Chicago, but specifically said, I don't mix my politics and religion. And that has changed 180 degrees. Yeah. Uh, that is, he now is a Christian nationalist, which is, of course, a connection of religion and politics. Um, the other, uh, he's done a 180 on several other issues related to that. Uh, he had a very... Uh, public pro-gay stance. Uh, he had gay staff members. He promoted Rob Smith for a while. He is anti that now. Uh, is As always said, he, he personally was not in favor of gay marriage, but now the organization does not support that hmm. uh, and talks about um, them in a way that is not good. Right. Um, he also has done a 180 on several, as you say, libertarian issues. He used to have a more open, do what you want with your own drugs uh, stance, uh, but that is not the case uh, anymore. Um, and really, I think uh, the the 180 switches can be most seen in the ways in which he talks about the history of America. It yes. certainly was America's the greatest nation in the world, and we've always had the great policies, the constitutions, the greatest document ever. But now you add the layer of the myth of the Christian founding um, to that, and it becomes much more, not just powerful in, in terms of its impact, but it becomes, there's so much more material to draw from with all the people involved in that. And I think that those are the things that mark his change from that. Some of them are rad radical, 180 degrees. Some of them are, are, are not as radical, uh, but he's certainly gone from um, conservative, libertarian, social issues, maybe to social cultural war issues all the time. Yeah, I think that's a really good, um, you know, summarization. Uh, he, he seems to be borrowing a lot from the David Barton, uh, you know, um, um, quote unquote history book, which is to say it's pretty much fictional history. But David Barton for the audience is someone who really kind of laid the groundwork for a lot of the Christian nationalist rhetoric, rhetoric that we hear now regarding like the America was a Christian nation. And here's here's all these this quote unquote proof that proves the the you know the Constitution and the founders were, were Christians. So so Charlie, I, I know for I know from some other places that David, his rhetoric is really, it's been really disseminated throughout, you know, the Jack Hibbs of the world mm -hmm. and so on yes. and so forth. And Charlie Kirk picks up on that. You know, Riley, I kind of want to get your thoughts here because you you and Dan both have been working with me on a more like, um, you know, personal level of kind of helping create content. You've been on, you've been on some reels that, that you've done here, covering some stuff from Charlie Kirk. Based on like what your, what your research is, is focused on right now, how do you see some of this overlap of like where Charlie Kirk and like the rhetoric of Turning Point fits into the the broader historical narrative? I think, and just to kind of preface this, I'm definitely not a Charlie Kirk expert, you know, like <laughs> Matthew is. Um, 
so I didn't necessarily know as much of the background as to like how much Charlie Kirk has changed. Right. But at least from my experience, you know, seeing the things that he's talked about, seeing the things that Turning Point has um, like promoted and the messages that they've perpetuated, I, I kind of view it as a continuation of what a lot of white evangelicals have just been trying to do since basically the end of the Civil War, at least in my research. And that is just desperately try and revise and rewrite history to clear their names, to make sure that they're praising the history books, and to diminish the like brutals of racism that was largely at the hands of white Christians. So mm-hmm. I view it as almost not a surprise mm-hmm. that he is taking that position today because in a lot of ways, he's just following in the footsteps of the generation before him of colorblindness, the generation before him of Jim Crow segregation, the generation of lynching, the generation of revisionist history through the lost cause, all of which were like very interconnected to white evangelicalism. So it doesn't surprise me that mm. His historical framework for America would be so off and so um, white hero kind mm. of an understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I I get perplexed myself with how someone like Charlie, who is a a blade. I mean, he's he's a a proud quote unquote Christian, you know, and and you want to take someone seriously when they say that. Um, then I think about just like the the basic of like the basic evangelical tenets of like, even things like the fruit of the spirit, you know, like, are you embodying the fruit of the spirit? And I, I look at like Charlie's rhetoric. I look at, at, at not only his organization's rhetoric, but also his own, his own Twitter. And I'm just like, I just don't understand how Charlie can like claim both of these things at the same time, mm. because here's the thing, right? I mean, I let's just assume for a second that, you know, Charlie has this rhetoric. There are ways to say that without even being as much of a, mean person as, as Charlie is right. Like I, I still, I still wouldn't support the views, but it almost seems like the way Charlie tweets, the way he talks though. And, and the turning point uh, ethos is just centered around making things as, as harsh and as volatile as possible to stir people up, to freak out and think that like at any moment, Joe Biden himself is going to kick down their door and come for their guns and turn their kids gay and make them, you know, I don't know, go to some kind of uh, transgender affirming school. I mean, that, that's kind of the narrative you get in your head, right? And I think that's what perplexes me the most so far with Charlie, which is I just don't know how you read the Sermon on the Mount and go, oh, yeah, this is it. Like, this is how we embody this by all of these things, you know, that that, that we've talked about at length before. Um, well, Dan, yeah, Dan, I was going to go to you next. I actually wanted to ask, and you, you can give me your thoughts first, but I did want to kind of get your thoughts on the journalism side of like, how a Charlie Kirk and even a Turning Point USA presents themselves as being someone just giving you the news, uh, but maybe without any of or not many of the the journalistic standards. I don't know any of them. I'm not a journalist, but that's why you're here. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, I wouldn't say they present themselves as journalists, but they certainly present themselves as providing truth. And I think that's one thing that we've seen on the on the right, and I mean, to a limited degree, you see this on the smaller radical left, but mm-hmm. has become more uh, part and parcel of the, just the right wing in America um, where it's this very deliberate uh, watering down or undermining of the idea of that. You're going to get objective facts anywhere 
except for where you want to get them from. And if they, if what you hear uh, goes against what you believe, then that becomes proof that whatever that source is, is tainted. So like we've seen this with, uh, you know, with COVID, with the election results. So the, the fact that the New York Times isn't covering the, that the election was stolen is proof that the New York Times is unreliable, right? Mm-hmm. So I, in listening to Charlie Kirk and other people at his events and platforms, you hear that a lot, that they, uh, they're giving you the truth, capital T, um, I actually grabbed a couple of clips uh, earlier. I was going to say, like, can we do the thing that Charlie Kirk does where we're like, play clip 47. <laughs> can we uh, please? I'll, I'll email them to you. Yeah. You can if you, if decide you think, sorry, I could do that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an old Rush thing. I, I didn't watch a lot oh, of Rush that, Limbaugh. Right. It is. Yeah. It's, yes, it's, it's, yes. a, it's a radio thing. It's just Definitely. like making clip yeah. two. Go. That's yeah. Mark Levin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess it's just not Charlie. All right. Um, <laughs> So uh, yeah, he was, there's one that he he's talking to. Um, uh, you know, I'm forgetting exactly, but it was a Turning Point Faith uh, event that he had recently, and he was saying about how yeah, just how we're the side that is uh, believes in objective truth. And he kind of like segued into this with talking about uh, you know the left is about relativism, yada yada yada. And I, I realize I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, so I'll wrap this up. Um, but anyways, that we're the side that believes in objective truth, and that's why you know we're grounded in reality. And the other side you know, thinks that men can become pregnant and dogs can become cats uh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. And um, so, uh, yeah, but they so there's that. They certainly uh, so there's some crossover with journalism in the sense that we're both trying to present reality. But they, I mean, they're not claiming to be journalists. Uh, it, then again, you do have people, again, this is kind of like this uh, melding of all this idea of like, what is, how do you uh, adjudicate the facts uh, and like that obfuscation that happens around that with in the, the right wing today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got like James O'Keefe showing up at their student action summit in late July, wearing what looks like a kind of like a tactical vest. It's supposed to look like body armor with the press logo on it standing up and talking about, you know, the, the work that Project Veritas is doing. And you can put a press tag on you. It does not make you a journalist. Mm. Uh, they adhere to no standards of journalism uh, in terms of like having to verify things or, um, if, you know, uh, if you get a correction, if you do have something wrong that you have to run a correction that just kind of like basic journalism 101 things. Mm. Uh, the thing I was going to add, or I wanted to, jump in on earlier about you mentioned about sermon on the mount Mm -hmm. and like how do you read that and then end up where uh charlie kirk is and as i've been diving into this and just also you know uh like i'm a christian i've been really on my own uh personal side just doing a lot of uh deeper dives into my faith in recent years separate from you know nothing to do with work but just it's i've been struck by uh the the approach that uh yeah of proof texting that mm-hmm. evangelical fundamentalist evangelicals often get criticized for that uh just like grabbing this line here and this line here and this line here you reference um the bible project folks a lot mm-hmm. and, like their whole point like this is a narrative you've got to take the big picture and it seems to me like that approach uh, one thing i'm curious about as a journalist is like 
does that approach to what hermeneutics, whatever the correct mm-hmm. word is, where you're just like, I'll take this piece here and this piece here and this piece here. It seems to fit so perfectly with the way they selectively take things like things that have some factual basis in life, like yeah. uh, the Senate confirmation hearing with the you know, question of um, what's, can you define a woman? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they take it out of context and they pair it with this thing and this thing and this thing to get a, a an analysis of what's going on that I think is just totally separate or <laughs> yeah, totally uh, disjoint from like what I think the, well, anyways, I, I, I think Tim that. would say that yeah. uh, evangelicals are trained in that manner by being educated or, or forced or whatever to remember verses or recall, you know, uh, single verses out of the Bible. I mean, yeah. Sunday school, would, what was the verse this week? Did you remember it? I got you take it. Those one, yeah. You take those one or two sentences, that kind of training and apply it to media. You're looking for that soundbite that proves mm. what you already think, because that's what remembering the verses is. It is taught to you. So in a time of, um, sadness, you can recall this verse. In a type of anxiety, you can recall this verse. So you recall the verse to help you, um, you know, live your life. Here you're recalling or you're seeing the media clip to tell you what uh, or to confirm what you already believe. It, it is a training that evangelicals are designed for. And many people have other written about how evangelicals are trained to believe conspiracy theories for that same reason. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, it is it is a training that happens. And that's why Charlie Kirk is good because he 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 preaches, if you will, in short segments, things that people remember yeah. um, and lines that, you know, rhetorically are good. They rhyme, they have uh, yeah. cadence, you know, they have other things that work that like that. Yeah, that's good. I was going to say too, Dan, I think you're, you're totally right. And I, I was thinking about how, you know, I grew up on a steady diet of Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and, and they would, you're right. They would never claim to be journalists, but they would never not claim it either. Right. And like, I have found that, that like the Rush Limbaugh's or Sean Hannity's, they present themselves, like you said, as we're just telling you like it is. We're just telling you the capital T truth. And then you kind of realize, like, actually, you know, um, when they're really pressed, because I, I, I've heard it before. Like, like, I've heard Sean Hannity say, you know, like once in his career, maybe I heard him say, technically, we are like a like like a, a media show, right? Like, like, meaning like, yeah, we're entertainment, we're media, we're some news. But that's really what it is. Like, like they're really here to entertain people, but they rarely if ever say that and i find you know charlie kirk i think he's only like 29 28 he's not old and i think that that he's just continuing the next evolution of that rush limbaugh style you know i'm not going to tell you i'm not really a legitimate journalist here but i'm going to give you news all day and tell you how it is and how to interpret it and my audience will see me as a truth teller regardless of, of, of 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 if i'm actually being uh, regardless of if I'm if I'm having integrity or not, as I tell you the story, and with Charlie Kirk, that's what I find as well. If I, I, I just, listen to uh, why you know he didn't go to the January sixth rally. Uh, I'm sure he could have gone and spoken if he wanted to. And of course, he is you know the election conspiracy person, and he in his show that day or prior to that show, he wanted to be the one to tell his audience what was happening, as if he kind of knew what might. Have go on. And I think he wanted to be back in the studio to watch it all with his audience to give them that insider look mm-hmm. uh, instead of giving a, you know, five minute spiel at the rally and then, you know, doing whatever. Uh, I think that, that he he recognized that as an opportunity for his radio show more than he recognizes an opportunity to speak to a, an event. But yeah. 
Go ahead, Dan. What, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say parenthetically, your comment about, um, I think you said Sean Hannity. I forget if it's Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson. I mean, one of them in a lawsuit literally said, as one of their defenses, nobody would believe what we actually say because it's just entertain- right. uh, entertainment. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. Um, I, I do want to kind of focus in for the remainder of our time here on like this this Christian nationalist and um, really the turning point faith wing because that that to me has been maybe the most concerning um, thing that I've been watching when it comes to Charlie Kirk and like the next evolution. It's been very evident that Charlie has been soliciting um, the the attention of some very large and powerful evangelical leaders. I mean, Jack Hibbs is one. There's the church over in Cornerstone, Virginia. Uh, that, that, that that's pretty large. There's Awakened Church, and now he's 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 working with churches to start turning point chapters inside the churches. So Dream City Church has like a turning point faith like chapter set up. And this part, honestly, as a Christian and as someone who you know would think that Christian nationalism is is one of our greatest threats just to our our own republic as we speak, it concerns me to see. Um, on one side, it concerns me to see Charlie Kirk targeting that those circles, but B, it really concerns me to watch these many of these churches say, "Hell yeah, we're in!" Like, absolutely. I think about Dream City in particular. I think they're twenty five thousand strong. I mean, they are a massive, massive mega church. They are well funded, and I'm I'm fairly confident, Matt. You can correct me if you know better. I'm pretty sure that Charlie Kirk launched or or did some kind of big push for Turning Point Faith out of a rally at Dream City Church. I think Luke Barnett, I think that's the, that's the pastor, they're pretty intertwined over there, and that yeah. concerns me. So, Matt, can you maybe speak to any, any more information that, that that you know regarding Turning Point Faith and kind of where they're going? Um, yeah, because Turning Point is based in Arizona, they started reaching out to churches in Phoenix first. And, of course, uh, Dream City hosted a Trump rally uh, in the summer of 2020, and I'm sure that was through uh, Charlie Kirk's, uh, you know, relationship both Trump and with the church. Um, and it is, I don't know if it's the largest church in, in Phoenix, but it's the fifth largest, it might be the largest in the Assembly of God uh, denomination. So, yes, it's massive, it has its own school. Um, Turning Point Faith, yes, it, it's kickoff event, it's Freedom Square, which they've been doing a series yes. of things now, Did it did its first event there. And they did another one in, at the Corning, uh, Cornerstone Church in Virginia as well. And that is Charlie on a, on a stage talking to a local pastor about issues and things like that in a kind of a, a chair setting, taking Q&A. Uh, but that has been going on for a while. And so uh, the Turning Point Faith partners with pastors. I, I mean, I say create chapters in the churches, but it's really partnering with the pastors to talk more about politics, to um, uh, activate the voters, if you will, in the congregation. Hmm. Riley, I know that... Um I mean, I'm I'm no scholar of history here, but I do know that 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 there have been, you know, movements kind of like this historically to kind of preserve, you know, like like the white evangelical culture from the outside threats. Can you maybe speak to that and kind of maybe some some overlap as we kind of talk about this? Like maybe what comes to mind for you as far as like that historical narrative of like, oh yeah, we've maybe been here before. <laughs> um, any yeah. thoughts on that? I mean, the biggest one that jumps out to me is just segregation and just the ways that, I mean, Brown versus the Board of Education, which got rid of segregation in public schools, happened in 1954. Um, And as a result of that decision, Christian churches created Christian private schools. That's basically like the history of private schools in America pretty much comes out of segregation. Mm -hmm. And we're able to 
preserve segregation for, I think it was almost two decades. It was like the mid 1970s when those Christian private schools were forced by law to integrate. Um, so it was like that, I think right around two decades after Brown v. Board, um, Christians, like it's very, very important that that is like the the main focus of this kind of argument here is that Christians were the ones that were trying to protect their um, like white children essentially from integration. And it was done through the churches and it was done through Christian church education. So that's mm -hmm. like the biggest, most horrifying example that comes into my mind of this idea of like, yeah, like church and politics and, and churches trying to preserve things that they should not be preserving. I'm thinking of the book uh, by J. Russell Hawkins, The Bible Told Them So, which really details this. I mean, it's it's a great read. It's it's a, it's well worth the read for anyone listening to this to take right. the five or six hours. Yeah, there it is. It is a phenomenal great. read, and it, it yeah. details so much of this. And and listen, to be clear, what we're not saying is that is that Charlie Kirk is a segregationist. That's not what we're saying. We don't believe that. But I want to be clear about something. I am noticing that like there are patterns that kind of repeat themselves, right? So maybe in in our cultural moment, it's not. Uh, integration is the big boogeyman that we have to be worried about, right? Maybe it's quote unquote groomers in public schools mm. that we have to be worried about, right? Maybe it is some other thing. It was critical race theory for a while, right? That we had yeah. to be worried about. So I, I have found that I feel like, and I would love maybe all three of you, if you have any thoughts, you can just speak out freely here. I have found that the more I read you know, American history or just read about kind of the past evangelical history, the more I see the pattern of um, something is going to destroy us. We have to protect ourselves. Uh, it's not, we're not racist. We're just saying this is what God has said in the Bible. And if mm. we don't do it this way, you know, like we're not following God's word, I guess. And I see that pattern kind of repeated over and over and over again. And, yep. and it, it still happens today. I mean, that's really how I see the critical race theory scare. That's how I see the grooming rhetoric. It's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's participating in that tradition of boogeyman, it's coming after our kids, coming after us, going to destroy our way of life. So we have to, quote unquote, circle the wagons and create these institutions in these these whatever, these these organizations to protect us from what we think is a threat and is also a threat to our faith. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Actually, can I just like follow up really quick on what sure. you just said? Because I do want to clarify that mentioning segregation is like the biggest kind of you know, thing that comes to mind does not mean that you're comparing. It just puts it into the historical framework of where we have been, where the Christian, the white Christian church in America has been. Um, but the, the point about critical race theory is incredibly interesting because mm -hmm. there's actually emerging literature I was reading today on just comparisons between the critical race theory hysteria um, that's emerging in white evangelical spaces to kind of the lost cause of the Confederacy and mm -hmm. this attempt at preserving a certain understanding of, you know, basically white hero history of, of like revisionist history that emerged after the Civil War. And that's in a lot of ways why there is so much panic over critical race theories, because critical race theory critiques inequalities in the American legal and justice system. And it also critiques people who benefit from those inequalities. And so many people, especially those who are, 
kind of the ideological lineage of kind of the Confederacy revisionist history movement view critical race theory as an attack on a certain understanding of American history. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was just kind of my follow-up thoughts there. I was going to say as a, as a rhetoric um, scholar, what I th- think, especially with Turning Point USA and Charlie Kirk, yes, it is a continuation. It's also something extra or new to what's been going on. And I think that there's a pattern of, especially white evangelicals that say the white church being put on defense a lot uh, on different issues, not just recent, but uh, racism, you're racist, you're that, you're this. And then at some point, the pattern moves to that group going on offense. Mm. And and that turns into a promotion of not just a defense or a, a circle the wagons, but a promotion of Christian nationalism. And we're out to save America instead of defend America. Both of those things can be happening at the same time. I think they are now. But there's a moment where uh, we've we've had enough. And I think Trump brought that moment to turn um, his <laughs> one word is fight. And Charlie Kirk's now one word is fight as well. And I watched a Turning Point USA kind of promo video in preparation for this show. And Charlie Kirk makes the argument that Christians, white, he didn't use white, but evangelical Christians have not had the opportunity to speak out as citizens in past. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Right. They, they've been sitting in their pews all this time, not doing anything. So oh, while right. that is an ahistorical, that is an error. You can see why he's promoting this movement from passive to active. Yeah. Um, instead of and instead of thinking about the origin of Turning Point USA, to go onto college campuses where they're not wanted, where it's a total indoctrination to get yelled at right to be on defense a lot i think he saw that as good but now it's time to take an offensive strategy into a place that's going to accept your message which is which is the church that is an astute point matt i think that's really important to recognize and i think that also makes sense of why we're seeing the embrace of christian nationalism now like i am you know marjorie taylor green yeah i'm a christian nationalist i'm proud of it at turning point saying that right and i and we're seeing more and more i mean even evangelical leaders al moeller embraces the term on a podcast nathan finocchio does a does a an, an eight an eight part slide a post uh you know saying why christian nationalism is a good thing so i think that's a great uh point to make that they, yeah, you go from defense to offense, but and it's so interesting hearing Charlie say that in a promo video that you know Christians haven't been able to or evangelicals haven't been able to speak, mm. considering that they just got Roe v. Wade overturned. I mean, they're the only group in America, white evangelical Protestants, the only group in America who support Roe v. Wade being overturned. It, it happened. It's now overturned. So it, it's interesting to even hear just that kind of like mythic. Uh, past again kind of resurfacing like us evangelicals haven't been able to talk at all it's like guys you've been controlling so much of what's been going on it's, it's crazy to me another thing is is at the pastor summit one of the lines that i heard of course many of the groups at that summit were not theologically aligned um and a lot of them have theological eschatology that is uh promoting a certain way of not being an active uh citizen or not being active in government this pre-millennial pre-trib we're waiting for christ to come back any day Charlie Kirk critiques that in front of them, right? Does not want them to, as he said, I, I use the quote, don't let your eschatology lead us to apathy. It rhymes, 
it's a good line, uh, but also it is it is affirming their eschatology, but also saying that if it leads you to not being active in politics, it's not God's will. You may be, you know, it may be true, maybe thousand years reign of Christ. If I'm going too deep in the woods, let me know. But the idea was don't let this thing that we perhaps agree on uh, lead to apathy, which is the, the passiveness of churchgoers. And I think that the, he is spreading that message, uh, you know, to anyone that wants to stand up out of their pew, I guess. Okay. Well, this is, and earlier, okay, yeah, yeah. I think it was April, uh, one of those freedom square things. He had a similar line saying like, even if you're, he's like, I don't know if Jesus is showing up next week. Some of you might believe that, but even if you're, uh, I forget, he mentioned one of them post-trib or pre-millennial, I can never keep them straight. I'm Episcopalian. <laughs> we don't talk about that like stuff that much. We're like, what time's the social now? Uh, but uh, yeah, he said that you're still called to reign. And I think he actually Take dominion. Yeah, he uses the word uh, reference occupy. dominion. Or yeah, yeah was, I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. So he explicitly was like, "Yeah, it's Occ- something." Occupy that's- till I come. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's the line. So many wow. things happening here as you guys are talking. So, audience, let me try and unpack here kind of what's going on because this. Let me let me just bring you kind of the conversation. This is some deep stuff. Let's just start right there. Okay. The average even evangelical isn't aware of what's going on inside their own spaces. The average, I would argue, the average evangelical pastor doesn't understand what Charlie Kirk is doing. Okay. But that doesn't mean that it's not extremely dangerous, and that and that and that the really influential leaders are just accepting this and really promoting it now. So what's happening is, and, and, and Matt, we're going to get back to you in a minute here because of what just happened recently. Charlie Kirk, we already established, okay, turning point, turning point faith. He's targeting churches, but now he's going further. He just hosted his first ever pastor summit full of uh, evangelical apologists, full of, of evangelical pastors, and even an atheist. He had James Lindsay, the atheist there, which is so interesting because James Lindsay just got banned, permabanned from Twitter for espousing really um, transphobic and hateful comments. And and it's also interesting to watch, again, I'm, I'm assuming most of us, if not all of us here, grew up in evangelical spaces. I certainly did. And I was taught that the atheist has no moral compass and cannot be trusted. But if it's someone who affirms your culture war, then and bring them to the pastor summit where they're welcome with open arms. Matt, can you? Because okay, so let me uh, let me just back up one more second. I'll get to Matt. This event usually um, turning point. They live stream their events. It, it's it's the lights. It's the show, and there's plenty of content in the moment to watch. I mean, you can watch it for free. This pastor summit, though, there was I saw video cameras like of recording stuff happening, but it wasn't released yet. It's it's not live. None of it was really publicized besides what I can find in stories. But Matt, you said that that, that you might have uh, some extra knowledge here of what's going on. So can you, can, you, can you kind of break it down for us? What happened at this pastor summit? Yeah, I have a friend of mine who uh, went to this event, uh, took some notes for me. Um, yeah. And uh, it's about 500 pastors, he said, small ballroom. Um, you know, it is not, as you said, the lights and smoke of a, of a student sermon, a student summit. And I think that was on purpose, right? Uh, one, you know, you don't want to put these people out front, the pastors out front and get them on camera when you don't know where they're going to end up. They're not going to be as, uh, you know, on message oh, as the students might be. Right. And I think that Charlie was addressing some of the concerns that he thought these pastors might have. Uh, We mentioned theology, eschatology, but also the political uh, religious divide, the Johnson Amendment, you know, trying to address those concerns uh, that these pastors might have. Um, And one of them, you know, was that um, 
you know, how can I be uh, more politically active from the pulpit? Again, the Johnson Amendment specifies that churches cannot endorse candidates. That doesn't mean pastors can't. Um, and certain pastors have stood up in the pulpit to endorse yes. candidates. Awaken Church in San right. Diego is a great so example of that. What Charlie Kirk is doing is offering them um, his own turning point events, the turning point faith events on a Sunday night, on a Wednesday night as educational ministries, because that's what a 501c3 does is educate. Jesus. And that's why Turning Point is not uh, legally partisan, if you will. Um, <laughs> so he brings him in. They have other speakers. And that really emboldens the congregation to see the pastor as a political leader. And this is sort of the language that was being told to these pastors at the summit. There's a couple of themes that came out. Uh, one is, of course, uh, Christianity, uh, evangelicalism is under attack. Uh, from all the things we've been talking about here. Right. Uh, two, they combined that negative, uh, if you will, that defense with an offense. What mm. is your purpose? Where do you belong? How can you bring others with you? And this, of course, this is you know how you train pastors. Um, so we're under attack. What can we do to help others? And then how can you bring those others to safety? Right. Or how can you be um, a, a person of safety? And that doesn't mean safe spaces, not at all. It just means that how can we change America to be more safe for Christians? Hmm. Uh, and the last thing I want to mention was was to me the divide between the pastors whom I knew had theological uh, settings or beliefs that did not lead themselves to be politically active, right? Calvary Chapel it has some, but mainly not, right? Uh, Pentecostal Charismatics, they're certainly involved, and they've been involved in, with the Trump president, but not really before that. Um, and so they talked about the kingdom of God. Now, that is a big, huge phrase. It has many different meanings and many different nominations, but bringing the kingdom of God to earth is likely a phrase we all would agree with as being right. good. Right. But and, and that's what the last thing I was going to They use all the phrases, all the words we would use, call to courage, be courageous, you know, follow the Holy Spirit, things like that. But they they do it or, or they define it or they use it in a totally opposite manner. And so it is using the language the pastors know, but quite slowly moving it, twisting it, if you will, redefining it into a political realm. So they feel safe doing, moving, going that way. Wow. It, it is. Um, it's Can really I ask some... a follow-up question? Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I Do you mean like they're helping the pastors come along or it's almost like you don't, you think that the pastors don't realize quite as much how much they're moving that space to uh, the political. Yeah. Arena. I think it's the, I think it's the former. I think you invited 500 pastors and I didn't think there were 500 pastors that were true turning point people before, but you want to bring this to kind of show them for the first time, what turning point faith is. You want to speak in their language. You want to not have it in the same manner yeah. as the student action summit. And you want to speak in ways that get them to move, right? They're trying to get them to have political events in their, in their congregation. Okay, so, so I mean, the yeah. pastors are signing up to like, say, help me, be more political without being political? No, I think the pastors are signing up to say, what can we do to help, um, you know, our city, right? Homeless shelters, uh, benevolence ministry, but also we can help our city by electing good people to government. Mm. That's Rob yeah. McCoy's line. Good government's made by good people, bad government's made by bad people. Rob McCoy is interested in getting pastors to run for office. Um uh, they talked about at the Turning Point Pastor Summit, right? Go into other places to be Christians. Go into your school board, taking over school board, taking over your city council, um, other things like that. So getting 
pastors to think political, not so much in partisan politics, but if you will, civics um, that they weren't thinking about before. You don't often hear pastors talking about, you know, representing school boards. You do a lot of other things. So speaking in their language, the kingdom of God is broader than you think. It's bigger than you think. It's wider than you think. Um, but also giving them a purpose and a belonging, a mission, if you will, um, to go to those other places. Um, and I think that that under attackness, some pastors will respond to that. We're under attack. We're under some pastors won't. Uh, they might say, I'm eh, well, kind of. Uh, but I think what they will respond to is this um, the way they phrase it is the positive offense call to be courageous. Where can you be courageous? Mm. I mean, they talked about, about if you didn't in your pulpit, talk about the overturning of Roe v. Wade, you're not courageous. Yes. I mean, everybody has, everybody's heard of, um, you know, uh, Sancti- sanctity of life Sunday where one Sunday a year, they talk about abortion, but to talk about it when it came out in the decision, huh, why should I do that? If we have this one day a year thing. That makes a lot of sense because Riley and I recently did a response video to Samuel Duth, who's a, a pastor of at Awakened Church who was at Charlie Kirk's thing. And he was really big on that in, in, in our in the video that we kind of responded to. You know, like, where are these pastors? If you didn't talk about the same, you know, uh, abortion being overturned, like, what kind of pastor are you? It, it certainly seems like Turning Point Faith is really attempting to just weaponize the church for far-right Christian nationalists. I would argue borderline fascism in a lot of ways with, with, with some of its, mm-hmm. its, its, its political um, affiliations. But I think what also concerns me is how, like you said, Matt, the language is so similar. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like I believe in being part of bringing heaven to earth. You know, I want to be part of, of the kingdom. But if the kingdom is tied to dominionism, which is the belief that Christians have a really white evangelicals and, and white people who are Christians have a right to rule the world, not just America, but the world, because this is our dominion, um, you know, and, and, and as as having the truth, we have to take over and rule correctly because we have the most moral that we, we have the moral high ground when, when that's the logic behind it. Right. I think that's when things are like, okay, this is a red alert moment here. And usually the evangelical gatekeepers that 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 tend to be the ones who want to protect the flock from bad theology, right? Um, when they're the ones being turned, it's like, well, then who's the gatekeeper here? Right. I mean, I'm not a big fan of evangelical gatekeepers for a lot of reasons, but my God, if, if there's ever a reason to have some right now. Now would be a great time for a bunch of them to say, actually, Charlie, what you're telling us is theologically garbage, uh, and and it sounds like you're just trying to weaponize us for your own political power in the name of God. Uh, Instead, what we see is, at least I'm seeing many powerful evangelical leaders going, yeah, Charlie, I think you're right. Like We have to get more emboldened. We We have to be more involved, and I think that is what concerns me the most right now. I mean, it goes back to the courage thing. If you think about the, the, the gatekeepers you just mentioned, why they're not doing that. And, and we'll just say that they're not doing that because their own congregations or their own groups are watching Fox News every night. Right. So they're displaying the lack of courage that Curry, Charlie Kirk says they're displaying. Right. 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 And so we need courageous people. So, I mean, conspiracy theories work because every fact works to toward the theory. Uh, in this case, everything that you see, he has an explanation for, or he has a way in which to bring scripture to it. Um, and again, back to uh, what Dan heard, right? Occupy till I come. We need people to be in all the realms of government to take out, to reclaim the government, whatever you want to say. But also it is about a religious bringing back of the king uh, of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that same, uh, 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 event that I saw that I saw him say that uh, he referenced about like bringing together all these various different 
denominations, but then also, you know, even he said like people like Bill Maher and James Lindsay, all these forces coming to together. And the term he used was to oppose the um, the demonic left. Um, and yeah. so, I mean, and then he talked about King Cyrus and how he's like, oh. look, which I mean, I if, if I recall correctly, it was something we heard in 2016 with the evangelical leaders yep. uh, justifying how you could back Trump. Um, so, I mean, there's this urgency that there's a biblical narrative that they can fit it, a theological narrative that they can fit it into. Um, and you know, I think just the other day he was talking on maybe Eric Metaxas's show, I forget, but uh, <laughs> saying like, if you think that we can wait, you, you're wrong. Like they're raiding us now. This was like a couple of days after the Mar-a-Lago oh, yes. raid. Yeah. And I mean, he was even making it sound like we might not have until the election, but uh, it's, I, I have, Matt, I'm curious what your uh, view on this is. It seems you know, in the short time I've been going back and listening to Charlie Kirk with the, uh, you know, closely, it seems like there is a, rising sense of urgency and oh, yeah. starting to talk about like violence. Uh, no, yeah. The, I, I, I mean, think uh, one of the like, pastors at the co- or one of the speakers, I don't know if it was one of the pastors said, Jesus calls us to be violent. Jesus. What? I think it was James Lindsay. I'm not sure, but I know the notes, uh, hold on, there's, it gets worse, right? James Lindsay also may have said, and I, I don't want to quote him, but one person there said, um, you know, um, that the church is being raped, and if you're a pastor, you're sitting around watching it if you're not doing anything. And that that was about David and Bathsheba. I think it was a pretext for that. Um, that. But but you should intervene in stopping that horrible crime, uh, perhaps violently. And I'm not going to talk about a specific physical reaction to that, but think about in terms of metaphor of America there, right? Right. We're talking about insurrection. We're talking about coups. We're talking about, I had a discussion with a random guy on Twitter about whether Bonhoeffer was a war ready pastor. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, yes, this, this war rhetoric, this culture war has amped up. And that's what makes it different uh, from all the historical moments that Raleigh would know is that from each moment, from each uh, movement that happens, you have to amp up the thing from the previous one. Right. right. Or, you, or you don't get your audience back. So mm-hmm. you so find with the new- exception of the 1850s. <laughs> That's right. No, so, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, I understand. <laughs> uh, but so, you know, are we leading to another civil war, perhaps? Right. You know, because that's what they're saying uh, well, that. So I, I did a, a research project on um, the the parallels between Holocaust denialism and the lost cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of had to put it on the shelf for a little while. I needed to go back to it. But uh, I was struck in reading all these newspaper you know, uh, editorials and whatnot and letters from the 1850s and even after the war, but uh, how much the language then just sounded so much as if it was from right now. Yes. Yeah. Really disturbing. Yeah. Well, that's, see, that's, that's where I get torn because I, as, as new evangelicals, right. As, as having this platform in this space and doing this podcast, we really do our best. I, I think Riley and Dan can attest to this, not to want to become another fear mongering, you know, emergency mode, uh, like the, the, the left version of Charlie Kirk, right? However, <laughs> I am really concerned by, like you, uh, Dan and Matt have both said, 
the the level of rhetoric has is only it's only going up. The temperature's only going up. I mean, we all thought Trump was a new level of temperature, and we're beyond that now. Clearly, I mean this, and, and, and I think the example I would use is this FBI um, search warrant, right? So the FBI get, gets a legal search warrant. Now we know why, for a good damn reason. The conservative media goes into what it does, but it's a new level of like, this is a war. I mean, I saw one tweet that was like, this is declaring war, essentially, you know, uh, and you're just like, what is going on here? And then Charlie Kirk goes on with Arabic taxes. I know what you're talking about, Dan. And it's like, we should just start raiding people now. Let's just start raiding Democrats back. Like, it's like, what is happening? And it does seem like, it does seem like I would argue, this is just my, my perspective. And I said this even before the the uh, that guy uh, tried to commit a mass shooting at, over at, at the FBI headquarters. I said, I think that we are on a path where we're going to see violence, um, um, more just. It's, we're going to see more justified violence in the name of Christian nationalism, and we're going to see theologians start laying down the framework for why it's acceptable. And after I posted that, was when I saw Nathan Finocchio's eight-part series on on why Christian nationalism is is the best state-inflicted violence out of all the ways to inflict violence. You know, his whole his whole point his whole point is that you know laws are violent inherently. So why not Christian? Why not have Christian nationalists do it? Because we're at least the most moral, right? And then we see Charlie. We'll Kirk treat talking. you well. We'll it, treat you well. When exactly. We, when we're beating it. Yeah. Exactly. And then you have, of course, you have Eric, Eric Taxis and many others. And and. It's it does scare me a little bit. I'm not going to lie because I don't want to be over the top, but also I'm just reading what's in front of me. I'm watching what they're saying. I'm seeing how so many elected officials were like, "This Trump thing's ridiculous. It, it's it, it's Biden's weaponized DOJ." I mean, straight propaganda. And you're just like, okay, this is the 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 divide. Is, is only growing deeper, and it seems like one side is truly preparing for some kind of violence on potentially a mass scale. And that concerns me, especially considering that Charlie Kirk is, is part of that, and he's now soliciting evangelical pastors to start having that conversation with them. That's where I get really concerned. Yeah, the movement from spiritual warfare to physical warfare is, is available. Uh, I would not say we're there yet, Um, but with, with so many chances to say that one message uh, and then to, again, to get it verified or made credible by someone like a pastor is deeply concerning. Um, So I I, I don't have any answers. I I don't know what I'm come up with other than to speak about it. Um, You know, there's plenty of people trying to write about it to write against it. There's great books out there, but I mean, you know, a lot of not a people read them. So I, I don't have an answer. Um, you know, I, I think about the people that are around me here in Northeast Georgia and how I don't want to go to church with them. Um, but also at the same time, where else should I go to find these people? Right. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to think of what, it's not going to be one event. I don't think it's going to trigger anything. It's not like, you know, they're, they're going to, and it, hit Fort Sumter there in the nighttime. Um, so it has to be a series of things where we, we walk up to a series of lines, um, you know, and I, and I don't know what that is, but I do think, and here's the hopeful part. I think that as long as there's a political campaign going on and Trump's about to announce he's going to run again and moving up to an election day, I, I do think that pushing people toward voting, is better than pushing people towards something else. So as long as they're still saying, go vote, I know Trump got off that train a little bit, but that's still a little hope. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think even tonight, so I know the Wyoming primaries are tonight. I think we'll see kind of a bit of the, if Liz Cheney's going to survive or not. I'm d- not uh, hopeful. Unlikely. But <laughs> I, I've heard whisperings of her running for president, which, you know, would be like definitely a better option than Trump. But yeah, I think as far as, you know, theoretical events in the future, like I just don't know how much freedom could exist past another Trump presidency. Um, And especially if we start seeing Charlie Kirk, either himself or type people more in Washington. um, I think that I I, I think it's going to be fast. I don't think that that's, I don't think democracy can survive much past Charlie Kirk type people in leadership. I think it's interesting though, that, uh, excuse me, Charlie Kirk has been doing these Ron DeSantis events around the country or turning point USA has. Uh, and I wonder is, as we noted earlier, Charlie Kirk is a very smart, very capable mm-hmm. uh, media mogul now. And to what degree is that, um, is he pivoting or just at least leaving doors open? He, he's been very explicit that he is loyal to Trump. And if Trump runs again, he will back him. But clearly there's a lot of people who would love to see DeSantis run in 2024 for the GOP presidential nomination. And so uh, I'm just curious to what degree is uh, Charlie Kirk ready to pivot Turning Point USA to back DeSantis? And if these events are kind of like a, a, a some, well, not a first date. They no, they, they are a tryout for Ron DeSantis yeah. as a, as a motivator, as a getting people to the polls. I do not think that Charlie Kirk is, is using the Ron DeSantis event to thumb at, at Trump. Uh, no, no, not at all. So I, I, I just think that Ron DeSantis is the cool kid in the classroom right now, and you want him at all your events. Uh, and the, you know, under search warrant Trump is not. Um, Trump spoke it. The turning point yeah. event. So did Ron and Sam. So, you know, I, I do think that Charlie Kirk, um, both, you know, n- the knows very well where the political winds are going, but also wants to be set to, to turn. If not, uh, Fox News hasn't had Trump on for a while, you know, so that's a slow turn, even though they covered, you know, the search warrant thing as you would expect. Um, but I, uh, people keep asking me, you know, what is Charlie Kirk going to do next? Is he going to run for? office i don't think he's gonna run for office uh i think he has this media empire now that he's totally in charge of um and but also he becomes the uh the stronger gatekeeper if we want to use that term right he was the the evangelical whisperer boy wonder kid for the trump campaign what more could he take on in that role you know Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know how powerful ralph reed got when he was the head of uh more majority whatever they call themselves but kurt could be you know, 10, 100 times that. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, he's already joined the Council for National Policy. That too, yeah. And Bob McEwen, the executive director, that was one of the speakers at um, the Student Action Summit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the most powerful right-wing policy organizations in the country. Mm-hmm. My prediction mm-hmm. is that I do think that, I, 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 well, I'll put it this way. I would not be surprised if in like 20 years, Charlie Kirk runs for like major office. I wouldn't be shocked one bit. Um, and that concerns me, but also I just want to say that I think DeSantis is almost in, the, in some ways worse than Trump because he's sneakier. I mean, I Trump is, 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 you know what we're getting with Trump, corruption out, out the wazoo. DeSantis is a little more, um, a little more, um, you know, he's a, he's a little more cleaned up. And also he, I mean, they, um, that don't say gay bill was based off of some of, uh, Hungary's 
uh, politics and you know this whole even this whole alignment with with with, uh, with Victor Orban is or, or uh, Orban has just it's it's terrifying stuff. Um, you know he spoke at, at CPAC in in uh, in Texas recently and it's just it, it's not good. Tucker Carlson did a show from from Hungary and it's this whole direction really. And I, I we do have to wrap up in a few minutes here, so we'll start landing the plane. But you know for me this whole direction in general that the right wing is heading in seems to be farther. It seems to be descending farther down authoritarianism and fascism but a but because it's propaganda machine of right-wing media is so effective most people don't really think that right like 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 the average um ben shapiro listener does not think that they're heading down the pathway uh down to you know totalitarianism but the rhetoric is just so good it's so sneaky that that's why you know because they have a whole machine that helps really soften the reality of what's happening. So I, um, you know, my, some of my final thoughts, I guess, is, is I'm certainly concerned, but I think my last question for you guys would be, you know, what are, I mean, what do we do? Right. I mean, I know Matt, you said you don't have a lot of answers. I'm, I'm always struggling myself, but like, I think as a Jesus person, how do I resist this? How do I invite people like Charlie to better ways of being? Is it even possible? I don't want to create more otherness in the world, but also it seems like we're in a cultural and historical moment that, that there has to be some lines drawn because what's happening in those circles is so damaging, especially to the BIPOC community, the queer community. You know, someone like me, a white guy, isn't going to be super affected by a lot of these policies, most likely. But some of some of my, my friends in the queer community certainly are. That's what concerns me. So, you know, maybe as a final wrap-up question, any thoughts on just ways forward from this stuff? I was going to say that Turning Point is trying to make government so small that it fits in one person. Uh, the tyrant, the totalitarianism king. And mm. so I want to go the opposite. Uh, mm. Let's make government big. I'm not saying spend millions of dollars, but let's invest in people. Let's invest in programs. Let's do things like the COVID relief bill um, to make government work better for more people. Um, that is the opposite of big government sucks and uh, putting power into one person's hand. That's good. I think I think you mentioned, uh, Tim, you know, I, I saw this article about, I think it was kind of analyzing why, um, you know, people in the far right, you know, we call out like, oh, they're hurling towards authoritarianism, which is completely true. Why are they not concerned about this? Why are they not scared about this, like, handmaid's tale reality that we're all looking at? And it's because, at least according to this research, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head, Tim. They are not affected by most of the things that they are um, advocating for or implementing or even just like the crazy policy decisions that they're making. Uh, they largely won't feel the effects of. So yeah. I guess my response is vote <laughs> and vote for, you know, center left, just better leaders. <laughs> it's kind of my my thing. Engage, engage in policy. Just vote for someone else. Yeah. Vote yeah, for right. someone else. Exactly. Adam Kinzinger, whoever, you know, just someone. Right, right. If you're still on the right, yeah. Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger. There are options. Um, just not fascists. Yes. Dan, what are your final thoughts here? Uh, first of all, I just wanted to, you mentioned Orban. Um, uh, the Eduardo Bolsonaro was one of the speakers. The son of um, Jair Bolsonaro, the president, far right president of Brazil, was one of the speakers at uh the student action summit. I haven't 
seen the what he spoke about yet, unfortunately, but um, I thought that was interesting. It is. Uh, and yeah, he's a. Uh, He's got some close relationship with uh, one of the Trump kids, but um, shocker. This is my shocked face. (laughs) So, uh, you know, like as a journalist, I'm not going to find my place to say what people should do uh, in terms of like where the country should go. But I will say, you know, at least though, when, when you're listening to people, on the right or whichever side it is that you disagree with. I, I don't want to see the uh, people get into this narrative where they hear everything that comes out of Charlie Kirk's mouth as well. Clearly he's just going to say whatever he says is going to be uh, some proto-fascist thing, um, you know, like where he can find, find grounds to agree with people. Um, like, yeah, more people should run for local government. That would be great. I'm not going to say I agree with what Rob McCoy's platforms are, but, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't want to see two competing narratives on each side where they see each other as demonic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't mean to sound like milk toast or anything, but, uh, and subscribe to your local newspaper. <laughs> that, that I do. do that I do yes um well listen uh you know Matt Riley Dan really great having all three of you just share your expertise and your thoughts um on Charlie Kirk and just some of the bigger narratives surrounding it uh, audience I hope that you found this helpful you know um I know some of this stuff can be heavy uh I get it but this is also reality and I think that it's fair to say that that to not engage in politics is really a privilege in a lot of ways um, and so it's important that that you're aware of what's happening in the spaces that many of us have come from. I mean, our white evangelical tradition um, really has a history of this, but also we're seeing kind of a new level, like Matt so well uh, described earlier, of just really, um, I would argue, um, incompatible viewpoints somehow being like, they're, they're being melted together in really weird ways. So just be aware of that. It's important. Um, there's some great people out there who are, I would say, doing work to kind of um, bring to light about the history of this. I think about Samuel Perry's book, Taking Back, uh, Taking America Back for God is great. Jamar Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise is really good. Uh, Kristen Dumay's book, Jesus and John Wayne's a great read on this. Um, and, also, um, uh, and also Raising Them Right by who, Matt? I can't see it. Sorry. This is uh, Raising Them Right by Kyle Spencer. Uh, she followed Charlie Kirk and, t- and Candace Owens around for two years and did a profile of them. I just finished it. It's out uh, in September. Oh, yeah. I need to get that. So there's that. And then I'll also recommend the book The Power Worshippers by, uh, by Catherine Stewart. Another great read on just some of what's happening underneath of all this. So, all right, friends, that's all the time we have for now. I appreciate your time, um, everyone, and we'll talk to you all later. Thanks.